podcast one production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. I've been trying to set up this chat for as long as I can remember between two of my favourite hospitality people, Ella Wolf Tasker and her daughter, Larissa Wolf Tasker. Three decades ago, Ella Wolf Tasker and her husband, Alan, set up the lake house on the outskirts of a small country town known as Dalesford. Back then, the town was little more than a road stop on the way in and out of Melbourne, but now it's a bustling hive of activity filled with wineries, day spas, and of course, a thriving food scene. Some would argue that Ella is the reason behind this cultural explosion, but I'll let you be the judge of that. Her daughter Larissa has been wrapped up in the lake house in one way or another since she was a little girl, but now, of course, she's been working on the lake house, and together, the two of them are continuing to forge a path for local growers and shape the industry for the better. In this episode, the two of them discuss the tension of running a family business, the history of the lake house and how they solve disputes when things get a little heated in the kitchen. A mother and daughter at odds? I can't imagine. Anyway, have a listen and enjoy. We always want to kick off, you know, talking about food because that's the thing that binds us all together. And obviously lots of people huge number of people know where it all started for you, Ella, I mm. think. Mm. But can you, where did it actually start? Where did this love of food start? Did it start as a child? Totally. Was it, yeah? Yeah. So both my parents were post-war Russian migrants or migrants from Russia after the Second World War, displaced persons, so persons with no nation. Um, and uh, they got assisted passage to Australia. Could have been America or Australia. They chose Australia because... Dad saw they played football. Wrong kind of football, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, they came f- uh, and, and I was a baby. I was just a few months old. They came over in the 50s and they'd come from war-torn Europe and um, rations, shortages, but, but apart from that, a strong food culture. So mum grew up on a farm in Moldova, which was then part of Russia then it was part of Romania, then it was part of Germany. Right. It kind of changed. And Dad was from Moscow and they both understood good food. I mean, they loved entertaining and, you know, their families always entertained and everything. And then there was the war and rationing. So by the time they came to the, you know, the country that was going to be the saviour for them, you know, they could think of nothing better but but to cook for people, you know. They were both really, really good cooks. So I have memories of a childhood of whenever anyone knocked on the door and in those days people did come and visit. It was before telephones, I'm right. frightened to tell you, Gary. <laughs> so when we eventually got a telephone when I was at school, it was very special, but people used to just turn up unannounced. There wasn't any kind of SMS or anything like that. They just used to just knock on the door on Sunday and pop in. And uh, it didn't matter what time of day people arrived, out would come everything out of the refrigerator and mum's pickles and the salted herrings and dad's smoked eel and the, you know, gherkins and the rye bread and everything. The table would be set and there would be food on the table. Didn't matter if it wasn't lunch or dinner, they would they would share food with people. And eventually when they um, they got on their feet, which was sort of in the mid-60s, they did a very Russian thing. We had chooks and, and an orchard and everything in the western suburbs where we lived, right. but they eventually bought a tiny little miner's cottage in Dalesford for £500, which is a very very Russian thing to have a summer house, a dacha, 
and that's where they grew all their food. So they, we had crocks of sauerkraut on the back stoop and dill pickles and we foraged for the mushrooms and uh, they had a huge vegetable garden, lovely red volcanic soil and the place reminded them of Europe because of the church spires and the rolling hills and the mineral water. Dad used to go down with the string bag and the bottles and fill the bottles with mineral water and bring them up and we had to drink that what I thought was very foul, smelly water and the Russian friends came every weekend and brought things also so there was a big shared table, everyone cooking, everyone picking things, going for walks, picking blackberries, coming back, sharing it all, sour cream, smoked fish, beetroot, gherkins. Sounds beautiful. <laughs> like I'm, I'm getting hungry actually yeah. listening to you talk about it. Did you feel the same way about it though when you were a child or is this something that you've come to appreciate later on in life? Well, all my fondest memories were mm. of sharing food mm. because there were some black memories too. I mean, the war was actually not that far gone, so they had very, very sharp recollections and all their friends did also of separation from family and all. so the gatherings were very important and they happened to be around food but also the piano accordion would come out and there would be poetic recitations and people would sing. Never needed any psychoanalysis because it was such a cathartic thing, you know, they'd all weep a lot. <laughs> but all yep. of my best memories were around food. So it made sense that it was hospitality and food was going to be part of my DNA. But, of course, when I told them that I wanted to be a professional cook, they kind of just fell off their chairs and said, no, lawyer, yeah. doctor, Because I was going to say, this, no. didn't, this wasn't <laughs> the path that you set out on, was it? What did you study? Well, they wanted me to do something professional. You know, they didn't, at the end of the day, they really didn't care. So I did a liberal arts degree with a Russian and psychology major, of all things. So I did a detour into tertiary studies. But all the time, whenever I had any time off, I worked in restaurants, washed floors, washed dishes. You know, when chefs walked out, I got the cold larder job or the, you know, pastry job or whatever. And that was... So that was early 70s and restaurants in Melbourne weren't that great actually. So I always knew I was going to go overseas eventually and study. So it was inescapable. Absolutely. I can't imagine ever doing, and I mean, I did try academia, I did try all that, just didn't work for me, you know. So absolutely I knew what I wanted to do. And what about you, Larissa? Was it inescapable? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why I'm asking that question. I'm here, aren't I? No, I know. But was it? But it was escapable. I was never pressured into, into the industry. Is that, is that what you mean? No, I was going to actually say, so what your first memories of food, your, where did it start for you? Oh, my God. Um, well, I have very strong memories from when I was very little with my grandmother, so, so mum's mum. Um, Baba, because she looked after me an awful lot when mum and dad were establishing Lake House because they were, they opened in 1984, so I was only four years mm. old. So I spent an awful lot of time with them and a lot of it was very similar food to what mum just mentioned, So, but very kind of Russian traditional sorts of things. Um, mum would probably tell you one story if I, if I don't tell you first, that um, I, I used to be um, fed brains as a kid but told they were hamburgers. Um, and only learned very, very, very later on when I went to a friend's house um, that hamburgers weren't in fact brains uh, and that I'd been duped for the good part of the, my early life. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I felt but very delicious. Taken <laughs> yeah, I and love it. Soft I, and, and I love it now. Oozy. Absolutely. Um, so that's probably one of my earliest food memories. But I, I grew up in hospitality. So uh, I was always around kitchens. And if I wanted to be around my family, then we peeled mushrooms and caught yabbies and picked strawberries and peeled carrots and ch child labour. 
Yeah, child moment. <laughs> what, what, do you remember anything particularly delicious that you ate as a child that you still love? Oh, I used to steal the chocolate buttons out of their, um, out of their cupboard when I was a kid. I used to run in out before of the dry service, store. out of the dry store, grab a handful and run back out again. <laughs> and then half an hour later, we'd come back and we'd do it again and again and again. White chocolate, white chocolate White buttons. chocolate. So yeah. you still have a fondness for white chocolate? No, I hate it now. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It was just because it was sweet and It was sweet sugary. and sugary. And it was just kind of a dare of like kids running into the kitchen in the middle of service on she, Saturday nights. You flipped, you've forgotten, you flipped um, very fine blinchki, very fine pancakes for the staff for breakfast. Yeah, I used to stand standing on a milk on a, crate. Yeah. Standing on a milk crate and you used to flip yeah. them for the staff and with squeeze of lemon and sugar and that yeah. was one of your favourite things. Yeah. You were only about six maybe. Yeah. Well, wow. was but, child labour, wasn't it? Well, and inescapable for you. <laughs> but it was being around family. That's that's what you did if you wanted to be around family because mum and dad were, be, were working. Yeah. And so that was just, that's what weekends were like. Yeah. So back to you, Ella. Mm. How did it... How I'm did suffused it, with guilt now, oh, having stop. heard it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I not get a window. I see what's going on here. Um, how did buying the lake house actually come about? I know you've told this story a lot, but I'm not sure that everybody that's listening no. would know this because no. it is it is a long time ago and it was... Well, I came back from... Look, I, I went pivotal, off, I went off to, to France twice. So I went over once and did a bit of study and worked in a few kitchens, came back, got some more money, went back over. And the second time I got into better restaurants and it was the regional restaurants that really resonated with me. They were not kind of, you know, full of balloon back chairs and red velvet drapes. So they were at the time already. So we're talking early 70s, um, early to mid 70s. <clears throat> they were already really firmly immersed in their location. They had a real sense of regionality. So I'm talking... Roger Verge, I'm talking about Georges Blanc um, at, in Vonnaar. Hmm. So, um, you know, uh, Roger Verge was doing a dish around a single tomato, a single tomato warmed by the sun from the garden. I mean, this is middle 70s. You know, if, if someone does it now, we go, oh, how gasp, how wonderful. But these guys were doing that then and the tomato was local and the olive oil was local and the olives were local, all of that sort of stuff. So that, these are the things that really resonated for me. I loved seeing that relationship between the farmer or the producer and the chef and the produce coming through the door with the with the dew still on it, all that kind of, you know, you know, the stuff of magic that we talk about now. And chef would know the farmer. Quite often it was a second-generation relationship. Von um, Georges Blanc was third generation. It used to be La Mer, La Mer Blanc, his yeah. grandmother's place. So um, I just loved the fact that they were surrounded by small suppliers. The, you know, when you stopped in Von Ar to... Um, to fill your car with petrol, the the guy at the pump would say, have you been to our restaurant? You know, they would all, and he would be probably the mechanic who used to fix things at the at the hotel and restaurant. So the whole village was sort of involved in some way, you know, fixing chairs, providing honey, milling the flour, you know, making the olive oil in some way for the, for the restaurant. And I loved that whole kind of sense. And Okay, you know, when I came back to Australia, that was the vision. I kept having this thing about, so I had to go and do catering and running a cooking school and, you know, try and make some money. And that was the vision of this kind of country place that was a destination restaurant, worthy of a journey, what the Michelin Guide would call, but totally immersed in its local community and a real sense of place. And that, I had this vision. Couldn't work out why no one was doing it in Australia. <laughs> Silly me. And... Eventually, I met Alan, and uh, he was a, was an artist, a painter, but he could also design and build. And he'd actually built a farm way back, 
So he was pretty capable chap, but he was also really acquiescent. So when I said to him, darling, I'd love to have a country restaurant, he said, why not? <laughs> and if we had have thought about the why nots, they would have run off the page because we had no business acumen at all. And uh, so how did buying the land come about? Well, we looked for something that was really dirt cheap that we knew. And Dalesford was a very down at heel little place then. It was eight shops operating in the main street, 21% unemployment, like a lot of regional Australia, really down at heel. Uh, Timber had failed. The wool crop was not great, the price. We had big ag... um, um, agricultural concerns, growing potatoes, but they were contracted and being squeezed. So tough times like the rest of Australia. And so the land we bought was super cheap and I never stopped, neither of us stopped to work out why it was cheap. <laughs> we never worked out who our audience would be, who would come, who would want the sort of food that we wanted to do. And we plunged, so we bought the land in 79 and plunged into five years of building. So Hammer it, and nail. And- an opposite to what you should do. Absolutely everything. Totally, totally. In opposition to, to- common sense. Totally. And but we you knew Dalesford. I mean, if you're... Yeah, but Dalesford had no tourism. I mean, <clears throat> I the only reason it was Dalesford was that the land was cheap, mum and dad's cottage was up the hill, and mm. I thought the place was pretty. Did I think, and, and really we were building a destination restaurant, so what was going to make that place a destination. I mean, you know, who would come? Because no one came to Dalesford. There was no tourism at that time. And in fact, when we applied for a permit with the local council, they kind of shrugged their shoulders. They used to call me the mad foreign woman by the lake. And they shrugged their shoulders and said, look, you you can have the permit, but you're going to do your dough. We don't need a restaurant. No one ever comes to Dalesford. So that was the response. And then, of course, almost five years of building hammer and nail and working in Melbourne during the week and me trying to plant little tiny tubers this size on a denuded soilless paddock and all the locals, mostly farming community, just thought we were crazy. What the hell were we doing? And one of them actually said to me, you know, what are you doing planting all those trees? And I thought they're going to say something nice. And they said, well, you know, someone's spent a lot of money clearing that land. <laughs> it was soilless. And it was totally ruined. You're putting it all back. You're putting it all back. But you obviously had a, you envisioned this. You, it must have been pretty, was it not clear? You well, must the, have, the, vision, the dream must have the been The vision pretty... was Roger Verge, which right. was ridiculous, you know, Big, you know, gardens, green verdant gardens, huge white market umbrellas that hadn't made it to Australia yet. And, um, you know, huge numbers of of capable staff with long white aprons and sommelia and a a cellar and artworks and a discerning clientele that understood what the hell you were cooking. And we had a paddock. We had a paddock with car wrecks. We had no money. We had a place we'd hammered together. There was no local staff. There were no local supplies. I mean, if I had have just stopped and ticked the boxes, none of them got ticked. So it was it was kind of, well, let's give it a go and see what happens. And we're not borrowing money because we're just going to build it as we go. And then as we run out of money, we're going to stop. And then we're going to get a bit more money and build a bit more. <laughs> so what were the first few years like of actually... Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even finish, did I? <laughs> Had Larissa come along by this stage? Oh, or? she was... She was um, Too tiny to remember. No, I was hugely pregnant when I was planting those tiny tubers and we didn't have proper hoses or anything. I was carrying these buckets full of water trying to water these trees. My mother in Russian praying to the saints because she said I was going to, you know, lose the baby. But Larissa was three and a half when we opened. 
So it was tough and the business was not sustainable for seven years. So we had this manic life of Friday, Saturday, Sunday we opened in the hope that someone would come to Dalesford and then we'd pack everything up, including Larissa and whatever else was left that, you know, like the laundry. There was no place to do your laundry. So we all the tablecloths and everything and the napkins all got shipped back to Melbourne. In the first few years we used to do the laundry ourselves and press it and everything and then go to work somewhere else. So I ran a cooking school, Ellen did a bit of teaching, and then Thursday I'd come back via the wholesale market because there were no local suppliers <laughs> at Country Restaurant and I'm bringing back foam boxes with Larissa in a car seat in the middle in a back in the back and me singing very loudly to her because she used to hate the sound of the boxes grinding against each Squeaking other. She still grinding. hates it. So, so is that one of the first things you remember? I mean, oh, my God, that? it's the worst sound in the world. Still no, hate it. Still hate it. Can't even handle cotton buds. Like, oh, just that grating in your ears. So if you, if you have to carry, you know, cases of wine oh, and no, things in the it. car, it's got to be in a trailer in can't the back. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> cannot, cannot do it. Very, very loud radio. Did you get any that. sense of the difficulty, though, when you were younger? Because you were pretty small. I was But even if, if you were still working damn hard after seven years, you were yeah. getting to a point where you were starting to put things together and obviously flipping... Flipping Little pancakes. pancakes on a grill. Yeah, that wasn't because I thought my parents were having a hard time, though. <laughs> I just wanted to be around Flip them, things, yeah. you know, and, and it was fun to be a kid in hospitality. You know, you got to do all sorts of things. But I, I grew up with a very sharp reality check that um, that the industry was difficult and that my parents were determined to work very hard to make it work. So I, that's what I remember. I don't know when that started, but I don't remember a time where I didn't th- think that that's how it was. Yeah. And and was there a time, do you think, maybe as you became, I don't know, were you 10 or you 12 or you 14, that you realised that, you know, your parents work bloody hard to do what they do? Surely that puts you off. That doesn't set you up for a career in hospitality, does it? Um, <laughs> it would be really norm- normal. <laughs> <laughs> if I said that that deterred me, that would make an awful lot of sense. I'm not sure why I'm back in the industry. <laughs> Really, but um, look, I, I always knew that they worked hard. But it's an industry that you either love it or you or you don't. And um, very much like Mum fell in love with food and and cooking, I very much fell in love with the hospitality side of things, the engagement, the interaction with people, um, and the opportunity to create those kinds of special occasions and memories for people. Um, and to to get people to have you know time with their family or their friends around the table or now overnight in the hotel, I think is is pretty special. And those kind of things still drive us, you know, those creating creating of those special memories or those opportunities for those memories. But there was never a doubt in my mind that it was it wasn't going to be hard work. You weren't going to go off and travel the world and I don't know potter around France. Obviously, oh no and, hell, I was going to be a marine biologist. Okay, here no, we go. Now no, we no, get no. To it. There was a whole period where I was absolutely determined not to be in right. in the industry, but that didn't mean that I didn't love it. Um, I think that you know when you're in school and there's all sorts of things going around your head and you want to travel and all that sort of thing. So there were there was some time there while I was at university where I was at Melbourne University and then I went to. Um, America, where all I wanted to do was earn money in restaurants and then travel, earn money, travel, earn money, travel. I just wanted to see as much of the world as I possibly could. Um, but the hospitality industry is interesting. It's kind of, it's in you. You either get it or, or you don't. So it sort of slowly sort of drew me back. And and the idea of working with my mom and dad in, in a family business with something that we could create together, I thought was pretty special. It's an opportunity that 
few people get. And so it'd be crazy not to take advantage of, of doing something like that. Yeah. This is A Plate to Call Home and I'm Gary Megan. More from Alla and Larissa after the break. What's it like now? Is it <laughs> Roger Verges but in, oh, it's, in it's Dalesford? It's beyond my wildest dreams and, and Larissa has contributed to that enormously. She's got a... I mean... I was <clears throat> I was in the business for so long that I couldn't work on it for so long, you know. So um, really it's once she came into the business. I honestly didn't think she'd come back to the business and she went off to study in Colombia and she did, she did um, visual cultures, which was really much more kind of her father's kind of stuff, photography and film and art and all sorts of wonderful things and met wonderful people and I thought, oh, we've lost her. She's, you know, Dalesford's going to be a boring little place. And, um, but she, she said, she said, look, I want to come back into the business but I don't want to do just F&B. And, and I said, well, what are you going to do? And she said, well, what about marketing? And I said, well, we don't do marketing. <laughs> I mean, silly old me. I mean, I had, had I mean, we, we put our toe in the water with, a, with sort of international visitation and everything, but we really didn't take any of it seriously. And I was so busy working in the business, yeah. it, you know, it was really beyond me. Anyhow, she's kind of taken all that. She does all of our international visitation and she did all the trade shows forever and she now runs a little team and, and she also does all the brand stuff. But she also has taken over the interiors and turned the hotel into something really special. I mean, we've just won Australia's best regional hotel, which was fantastic. And Luxury Travel's given us best property in the you know, wine and food region. And, and I mean, a lot of that's due to her vision. So she, we, I thought the place was pretty good. <laughs> She's made it damn good in terms of the visuals. Um, I, I concentrate an awful lot on, um, you know, training, te- well, getting my seniors now to train teams and, and get that aspect of hospitality right and the welcome and the generosity of spirit and all of that that, you know, I sometimes think people forget what hospitality means. Mm. And I- Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Well, you know, that's, that's the thing that bothers me about when I think about it. That's the thing that bothers me about the cover. It's now about one person. Mm. You know, whether it's a, a celebrity chef or, a, or you know, me, Madam Me or whatever, it's kind of a, and, you know, our place is the sum of so many moving parts. It's a crazy village. Yeah, that, that kind of creates an atmosphere and an aura that people become absorbed in, you know, right from the word go when they walk in. And, I mean, team is an overused thing. I call it tribe. It's much more a tribe because you, you actually have to have a particular religion almost in order to belong to it. And um, that sort of sense of hospitality is the bit that I was always focused on as well as the food and the connection with the local producers. But she's also added this wonderful visual stuff that now Blake House is just so extraordinarily beautiful. So I have to say it's actually more beautiful than Roger Verges was. <laughs> so, and when you stand on the, the deck there looking totally, over the totally. lake, do, I mean, you retell the story a lot, but do yeah. you do you still kick yourself and oh, do you have moments just, where you just go, well, I mean, like feeding the geese there. I, mean, it's I just can't believe I can't really thing. can't believe it. And, I mean, you know, the sun sets in the right place. It sets opposite <laughs> 
you know, so it provides us the most beautiful sunsets, comes up on the other side of the property and you get this golden light on the tops of the trees. I mean, it's just the whole region is like that, though. It's not just out, but we've got a particularly beautiful little corner of, of the lake, but the whole region is just stunning. I mean, you go for walks, it's autumn now, it's just so, well, it's beginning of winter, but it's so beautiful. I so look at your Instagram as you <laughs> post things because you, uh, you take pictures of all sorts of things, you know, totally. like, you know, totally. dappling through leaves well, it's, and it's, frost on the ground. It's and, pleasure. It's yeah. just you go for a walk and it's just such such a pleasure, such an enormous pleasure. And the fresh air and the dark nights, the starry skies, you know, Melbourne, well, city people can't believe the sky. Hmm. You forget that they're, they're neon drenched in, and they don't see the Milky Way anymore. So they turn up and it's a frosty night and they look up and there is this amazing sky, inky black with the, with the Milky Way, and they're just blown away, you know. The little walk from the restaurant back to their room and they tell us all about it the next morning at breakfast. It's hard not to take it for granted if it's around us all yeah. the time. So beautiful Dalesford, who needs Provence, yeah, is that? Well, I think that's what's happened in Australia and I think, you know, its time came eventually. I mean, we were kind of... the. the egg that came before the chicken. We tried to do that. But I think as travelling in your own backyard became popular again, so lots of regions have now developed this kind of pride in themselves um, where people arrive and they're treated with hospitality, whether it's a, you know, a little general store or a pub with a fire and, you know, or a cellar door and the vintners there. That's the special thing about our region. We don't have nameless corporate kind of ownership of places. So you will meet the winemaker and the beer maker and the restaurateur and the chef and the market guy, you know, you'll actually meet the locals. So it's pretty special. It's an identity and it's the the stories and the... Kind of food trails, that totally. People travel totally, for. and and art trails, and book mm. trails, and a whole heap of other stuff. Now it's a very rich community, which is just wonderful. Larissa, what's it like having Ella as your mum? <laughs> Daunting. <laughs> oh, was that too quick? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the look of terror on your face yeah. that carried away. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the thing you grew up with two very talented, creative parents. You know, each in their own right, and um there's probably a little bit of a desire not to try and replicate what they've done but try to add something of your own, especially because we all work together. Mm. And that's probably the reason why it's worked um, over the last, I think, how long have I been back now? 15 years. Um, Is because everybody has very, very different skills, very, very different strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's the only way that I could be a part of the business. If I was trying to do exactly the same as what mum was doing, it would be difficult. But... um, she can do her thing and I can do my thing. Dad can do his thing. And Rob now, um, my husband, who's a part of the business, he can do his thing. And somehow we all, we make it work. Mm. What do you find difficult about it? Um, I'll ask you the opposite in no, a second. Well, the, the the difficult thing about it, or the most difficult thing about it, is that I probably know her better than anybody else knows mm. her. Um, and so quite often I can see what she's thinking from across the room. Um, whether that's a good thing or not, I, I don't know. Um, but it means that, you know, it means that we have an honesty with each other that sometimes you probably need to, you know, you'd probably temper that a little bit with other people. Um, but as a result, we get, to get, we get to do stuff and we get to get it done mm. um, and we get to get the best outcome out of it. And what, so, do, you, what do you love about working with your mum? 
I have no idea where she gets her energy from. It's just... No, I'm putting my hand up on that one. I don't know either. Um, it's kind of boundless. <laughs> and I love the fact that even more than 30 years into the business, we're still generating new ideas and new opportunities. And um, there's no sign of her wanting to to cease that. And that's a, a huge pri- privilege for a family business to, to be able to keep going and keep evolving, keep changing, keep growing, keep getting better um, with every single year. It's pretty special. Do you, do you see a point when your mum's not in the business? I mean, do you encourage um, her to go away not. on oh, more travels? Or? Hell yes. I tell her she should travel whenever she wants to travel. But that's the thing. I think that um, it's not about not wanting her in the business at all. It's about her having a choice. So getting to the point where um, she has a choice in what she wants to contribute to the business rather than it relying on it. It's a different kind of mindset. That would be the ultimate if we could achieve that and that would be wonderful because it means that they could travel when they want to, don't weep <laughs> when they want to travel. Um, but then also she can still contribute to the business, which I know she wants mm. to because she's still, you know, full of ideas and inspiration. Yeah. Uh, Ella, what's your proudest moment? I can't tell you how proud I am of her. And actually, I want to say thank you to you. I wasn't sure about coming to this podcast thing. (laughs) But what a privilege to be able to hear her talk about me um, so freely. And you're asking her the right questions. Thank you. But it's just lovely. I I love being in in business with Larissa. She's... um, She's she's just everything I hoped that she would... Well, I, I had no idea of what she was going to turn out like. I was obviously going to be happy with whatever because I love her dearly. But the fact that she's actually my best friend and we interact on all the all of the exciting level of business. I mean, business is... You know what it's like. I mean, there's the, the really awful days... And the, there's the the lulls, you know, there's there's plenty of highs, but there's lots of lulls and lows and difficult times as well. And we manage to get through that and she's extremely supportive and we support each other. But the highs, which is when we express our dreams, and we did that in the car today because we've got a couple of projects going, you know, and the conversation and realising that she's actually pretty thinking along the same lines as I am. I just get so excited about that because I think this is going to be such a winner because you get an affirmation of what you're thinking yourself and you think, my God, someone else has seen the possibility in this and, and I know how good she is, so I believe her, you know, so you get this instant affirmation. And she really is just, I don't, I don't, quite often I forget that she's my daughter. You know, she's just this very special friend that I've got. And it's what a blessing uh, that she is my daughter. I mean, she's wise well beyond her years. I mean, I wasn't like she is now at all, at all, at her age. Um, and she's she's got masses of wisdom. She's got masses of life experience. She's intuitive um, she's a great human being and she's just a wonderful soul. She really looks after people. She's hugely nurturing. So for me, it's a real privilege to be around her and to actually work with her. I mean, I mean this. She's just, you know, everyone kept telling me, I'll oh, wait till the terrible twos or wait till the terrible fours or wait till the terrible thirteens. It never happened. And then I thought, okay, what's going to happen is that when she's an adult, we're going to have this mad revolution because that's when she'll rebel. And it still hasn't happened. Oh, come you know, on, we've so- had a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can think of a couple off the top of my well, head. Well, we have disagreements. <laughs> we have disagreements, but it's never never come an on. enormous you thing. You can't throw that out there and then not follow it up. 
oh, no, I can't, like, air our dirty laundry. Why not? <laughs> Just one little... No, no. I, I, look, I think that everybody has disagreements about things. Otherwise, it's not going to be the mother-daughter relationship, right? We've never disagreed on any anything critical to the business. Oh, no. Uh, look, it's, no. we're in a hugely we, we emotional family. We're a hugely emotional family. So it's a, it's an emotional roller coaster. I mean, you know, what, you don't agree with me? What's wrong with what I've just said, you know? I mean, that's a kind of, you know. That sounds quite familiar. <laughs> <laughs> As she fidgets in <laughs> <Yeah>. the chair. <laughs> so, you know, when you're tired and emotional and there's a whole lot riding on things, of course you'll have spats, you yeah. know. But um, it's a very open kind of, we don't, I don't believe we hold grudges, you know. No. I mean, it's... You it, can't. It's a very healthy expression of whatever ails you at the time and then you kiss and make up later. Or there might be a sort of a, a, a an hour of, you know, mouth pouting, you know, that happens by one or, the other, one or the other, you know, and then it's sort of over and done with, you know. It's, so it's not, we don't bear grudges and we don't no. hold. There's a sliding door between our offices. That gets a bit of a workout. <laughs> <laughs> and to people, I'm just curious now because as a tour de force, the two of you, do people, does Rob avoid you? Does Alan avoid you? Do they just go in different directions when there's Oh, let me say things, something about Rob. Because things I, happening. I just want to say something about Rob because I think he's an absolute darling and enormously talented and I just think he is so brave. <laughs> So brave. He must have loved you enormously to actually make the decision to come into the Wolf Tusker den because <laughs> it is an emotional. You He's know, very calming though when you go there. And is. I've actually thought, not he in the same very way. So don't put it out he that is. way. But I thought, hey, he's a brave man. Isn't he? <laughs> That's exactly how I feel about him. He's a He'll brave appreciate man. that acknowledgement. To, you know. <laughs> but he is a leveller. There's no question. He just has this thing where he comes in and we're going. <laughs> And he just gets this kind of weird look on his face of, are you for real? And then just <laughs> shuts the sliding door. I mean, he's able to just kind of walk out of it. Whereas if she tried to walk out of it, I'd say, please don't go. We haven't finished this yet, you know. So you need to, I feel the need to resolve it. He just comes in, kind of gets this quizzical look on his face like, are you crazy or something? And then just walks off mm -hmm. and goes and does something else. He is calming, amazingly calming. Yeah, I can yeah. vouch for that. Yeah. Um, do you think food has uh, brought your family together? Um, Lake House has brought our family together, not not food. Not Larissa would never go and work in the kitchen. I know that she wouldn't. She she's she, you know she's telling me now she would never do it. They're all mad in there. That's she's <laughs> yeah, I love them dearly. But. Whereas I'm I'm driven by the next dish. I'm driven. You know, the the guy brings tiny little Tokyo turnips from the farm down, and I'm going. You know miso butter and, you know, pork and I'm going, my head's, you know, during the night my head's going, I'm looking at social media, I mean, it's got to stop that because you just run away with it. White port. Yeah. Sorry. Tokyo turnips, white it, port. It, yeah. Totally. So, you know, I'm thinking like that all the time as I kind of wander around the, the place and make sure that the gardens are being done and wander through the restaurant, make sure that, you know, test the, test the temperature of the room in the dining room. But the but the food side of the brain is going all the time. That's not her, no. that's not her thing. So if, the <clears throat> if you're thinking about the produce and then creating the dish, I see the producer come through the door and I'm thinking, you know, connection and community and stories and... Um, what's that person off to now and all of that sort of thing. So how we fit in with all of that. So she, she goes straight to the dish creation. You talked about the future and the car journey and the plans 
Um, <laughs> can I ask Larissa this first? Sure. <laughs> what does it look like? I, I need a consensus on whether we're actually allowed to talk about it. <clears throat> well, it doesn't have to be the things you specifically talked about. In well, the there's car. at least two projects. So but, least, it, but it could be, at in least your two. mind, what does what does it look like? What does your life look like yeah, well, that's important. going forward? Uh-oh, okay. Um, and that can be personal. It can be the business. I, I don't mind. Well, in, in my head, the business, Lake House, the business, goes from strength to strength. Um, and I see, I think because we always think in terms of the future and always looking at ways to improve, there are, even though I love where we're at at the moment, there's always somewhere else that we can go or something else that we can do a little bit better or something else that we can improve or change or tweak from the customer experience point of view and also the engagement of the, the team that works with us as well. Um, but there's there's also opportunities for us to expand beyond the physical property and we've done that a little bit with things like Wombat Hill House, the, the cafe. We do a lot of work with um, Dad's artwork, his painting, so we do books for him, we put on exhibitions, we have produce lines, um, you know, we do all sorts of sort of strange, weird, wonderful things. Uh, but the, I can imagine that the business will expand further and morph into something a little bit different, exactly the way that it's had um, for the last 30 years. You know, what the business is now is not what the vision was 34 years ago. They weren't sitting on the on the banks of the lake thinking that one day they're going to have a 33-room hotel a day spa, a cooking school and all of the other things that are on site now. The vision was for a restaurant, but the business has grown and developed over the years, um, probably a little bit to support that restaurant, mm. but also as as the brand expanded and as the opportunities increased, it turned into its own new thing and it continues to sort of change and evolve and I hope that it will continue to do that in the future. But I'm not exactly sure what that, what that looks like. And can I ask the same question of you? What what do you what does it look like for you? I guess for me, it was trying to work out how does one attract millennials into this industry beyond just mere celebrity. It's got to be about knowledge for knowledge's sake, and what would they be interested in? And the interest in provenance of food and how where it comes from, and and engaging with people who actually grow our food is growing exponentially. We can see that with farmers markets and the way mm. people purchase food and everything. So it's it it looks we've just done the first stage and it's looking fantastic, and now we're going to do the second stage, which is location. What does the place look like? We've applied for grants. If we can get this up off the ground, you know, maybe 2022, something like that, that would be make me very happy and it would be a game changer, not only for our region, but for Victoria and probably for Australia because it would be unique in the world. So that's one thing. And the industry. <laughs> and the oh, industry. It would be a game changer. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, we, we can't just keep doing more of what we're doing now, I think, with the sort of skill shortages that we have now. Um, there's wolf in your name. Yes. And the wolf is a fierce animal. Yes. How did you get the name and where's it from? Okay, so the original Russian name was Volkov, but my great-grandfather apparently, so Russia was a strange place. Well, it still is a strange place. It's a difficult place, but a wondrous place. But apparently my great-grandfather changed it to Wolf because at the time there was a lot of links with Germany. Now, that may have been because of the Empress who was German at the time, um, but it was very popular to Germanify, if that's the word, your, the people's names. Later on, it was uh, they all went French. The they went no, mm. they went crazy on French, and they all learned French. But German was the was the big thing at the time. So Vol- 
Volkov was turned to wolf because Volkov means of the wolf and then it was changed to wolf. And Alan, being the good British boy that he was, his name was Wood Tasker, double-barrelled name, Wood Tasker. So he dropped the wood and took the wolf and his mother was hugely upset at the thought that he was no longer Wood Tasker. So we became Wolf Tasker. There you go. And... um, Created something new there, didn't well, you? Well, yeah, 39 years of marriage and it's pretty special. Beautiful. Well, I think that was a very nice chat, so I'm very happy. I want to say thank you because yeah. um, having having the opportunity, she never talks like this, obviously, about me or about the business, so it's a real eye-opener to hear her talk. And also, I mean, I'm just so immensely proud. I mean... What a great well, that's why I wanted you. That's being. why I wanted you both in at the same time. What a great articulate. What a great articulate human being you've turned out to be. Hopefully, She's, I get some stuff right. <laughs> <laughs> Been like it for a while, I'm guessing. I mean, she's huh? just yeah, but you don't get you never get time to stand back and look, you know. Whereas this was, however long we've been here, half an hour I've been listening to her hmm. speak. Well, it's been a pleasure having you both here. Oh, and, you're wonderful. And actually listening to you and and how you connect, I get a little emotional too. So thank you very you're much. You're made for this kind of thing for radio. What bit of radio? Yeah, yeah, you oh, you are yeah. really good at this. I know everybody listening to this loves their food. Otherwise, why would you be here? But the question is, even as foodies, how much do we really know about where our food comes from and how many miles has it travelled? And if you think about Allah and Larissa Wolf-Tasker's kind of core beliefs, this is what it's all about. It's about seasonal and it's about local. And when you dig a little bit deeper, sometimes you're surprised. Right now at my local supermarket and my local shops, I'm finding berries from Chile. I'm finding asparagus from Peru, cherries from California and, of course, garlic from China. And I really encourage you to go to your local markets and once in a while, and I know we're all busy, is just have a chat. Like, talk about those eggs. And I think a lot of times people think free-range eggs, we've kind of done that, we're there. But you look at the packaging, it's either 1,500 to 3,000 hens per hectare or as low as 150. What a difference. And if we really, really care about where our food comes from, these are the things we'll start finding out. And that makes a difference. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research. Listener.